Welcome to the Future Is podcast, where we explore the future of your life and business. I'm your host, Joe Tobis, and today we're recording in early April of 2020, and the coronavirus is spreading throughout the U.S. and around the world. The way we use buildings has completely changed due to this pandemic. Office spaces that were once packed with workers are now empty as companies have shifted their employees to a protocol of of work from home. Meanwhile, manufacturing facilities and warehouses are running constantly to try and keep up with the demand for production and e-commerce. Uh, You don't have to look far outside. You see cities like ghost towns, uh, normally packed interstates and streets, now nearly vacant. I wanted to take the time to talk a little bit about specifically the 30 or 40 million buildings around the world and how those buildings have adapted and will change in the future. And so we brought in uh, Himanshu Karana, the Vice President and Chief Technology Officer of Honeywell Building Technologies. And uh, wanted to say welcome. Thank you. Hi, Joe. Good to be here with you. So first of all, how are you doing? Your your family okay? You staying safe? We are. No, thanks for asking. Safety is paramount right now. We are doing good. We are following our stay-at-home orders, uh, keeping low and uh, keeping the spirits up and hope you and, you and everybody else are doing the same. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. From your world, the world in which you work in, How has life changed as a result of the coronavirus? I think uh, it's been a tremendous amount of change, you know, just like society is experiencing it. We in our world of building building technologies are seeing a significant change as well, Joe. And it's it's something we've never really experienced before. And I think you, you started to clue in already in your introduction of how much the utilization in buildings is changing and we are seeing that play out over weeks, helping our customers grapple with the amount of change, how to keep the demand uh, supported where it is increasing, and then how to manage buildings where they are getting empty. So lots of change there, Joe. Tell me an example of a, of a type of customer situation that they're dealing with now or that they're anticipating dealing with. What are the big questions you're getting from customers right now or that you expect in the next week or two? Yeah, we're getting three types of questions, you know, and it's uh, one of them is, as you mentioned, is looking at healthcare, manufacturing and warehouses where the utilization is high and they need to really make sure that those building systems are up and running. They're able to maintain the health and safety of people working there, keep production high keep goods flowing and uh, deal with patients. Uh, so over there, they want to know what we can do to help them make sure nothing breaks, things stay up and running, and how can they add extended capacity to deal with the extra load that these buildings are facing. That first one then is just immediate. They're, they're talking about urgent needs to, to fight the pandemic and making sure that they have their buildings ready for it. Correct. And actually, all three types of questions right now are pretty immediate in nature because everybody needs to respond to this fast-paced, fast-changing environment. The other extreme is the empty building. Even there, they actually need some help to make sure that the systems 
stay fine because look, they've taken staff out of the buildings. It's not just the occupants are gone, their staff is reduced. They want to make right. sure that when they start to think about coming back, systems are going to be up and running. And then also, how do we conserve resources? For example, you want to keep the energy spent low where the buildings are empty. Right. And, and, and you want to then say, okay, I can pull my teams out and have them focus where I've got real problems. So how do you do that right. shifting of resources and keep things going is another question that's coming up. Okay. The third one I think is where things start to get really interesting is the healthcare world needs more and more capacity right now because COVID spread is not fully contained. The number of patients are going up. We're seeing efforts to flatten the curve. It hasn't reached the desired point in many parts of the world. So now they're saying, how can we convert empty buildings like stadiums, student dorms, and hotels into healthcare facility. Now, that's a kind of repurpose that people really haven't thought about before, and it's another immediate need that they're trying to address. Oh, wow. Yes. I, so I saw in New York the repurposings of things like the Javits Center, which is a huge convention center into a, into a hospital, and even outdoor spaces into these places. So we've been pulled in to support those types of activities? Yes, we have been asked because when you when you try to make that change, you a lot of the systems and buildings actually need to be thought through. There's the uh, you know the core stuff like okay, how do I manage my access control so people can come in and out of the building? How do I how do I set the schedule so you got your uh, HVAC heating cooling system running? How do I start to position some cameras and surveillance systems? so I can start to monitor these places for the use better. And then it gets more challenging and interesting is when I'm doing healthcare activities, I want to create these micro isolation zones so that, you know, just like in a hospital environment, how do I prevent the air from flowing all over the building and causing other problems? So they create these negative pressure zones for patient acute patient care where they can and that requires a bit of a a non-table transformation so they reach out to companies like us to get help with that you're right especially in those in those areas where you need isolation you have the negative air pressure that's not something that most of these buildings are set up to support yes and the good thing is the technology exists there is a way to realize it and you're absolutely right it's about moving fast creating the project and actually showing that can be done. You know, you may have to do it early so that you can configure the space based on what's possible as well. Is there anything that we're starting to prepare building managers with for when they come back so that there's some sort of continuity, there's some sort of improvement that, that's in place? Are your, are your customers asking for this? Or are we thinking about this? We are, and questions are trying to come in, though, of course, you know, without doubt, the priority remains the immediate aspect of buildings. Yep. So, you know, in addition to yep. energy and other aspects, just want to point out a couple of other things that are going on even before they come back. These buildings are empty, but risks to potential crime or risks to potential safety issues still exist. In fact, if you see the news, right. there was a fire in New York subway a couple of weeks ago. Right. Mm -hmm. So things that are, you know, even while we're all down as a society, other bad things may happen. So we are helping our customers think about how they can 
maybe monitor the video remotely to see that their safety systems are working and the security systems are working to keep things out. And they still have a response plan in case something happens. Now, to your point, you know, this concept of getting back to business, it's going to be a huge change for everyone to go from empty and then start filling buildings, start filling things again. We are seeing a little bit of that already happening in China, but there's a lot more people that will start to come back to work, so to speak. And I think uh, some are seeing the complexity, others haven't got that far yet, but it's not just being ready for the inflow of people. It's also the continued dynamics because until a cure for COVID is found and disseminated, things may change again. Right. So you've got to think about buildings where it's one thing to imagine that an essential person is showing up for work. They know these people are used to a bit more sacrifice and they show up at work. It's another to create a building where the knowledge worker is comfortable to work, that they don't prefer to work from home or shoppers come to shop or people start to travel. Now you have to build an environment where you are able to show to these occupants and people that the building is, is the right place to engage, that their health and safety is important, that if something were to go wrong, that there's a way to deal with it. And then on the back of the house, so to speak, when these systems start to come back and start to being used again, that they're able to adapt to changing policies faster. Are we going to notice something different about buildings in the in the months and maybe even years to follow? Did this open up our eyes to to things that that the general public would actually see in in building environments? Yes, I certainly believe it will. And and I think it will it'll hit home more as people come back to work. Today they're not thinking about the environment because they're at home. And right. as they start to come, it'll come to light that a lot of our lives, you know, 80%, 90% of the waking day is spent in buildings and how the environment is enabling the right outcomes to become clear. So I think two things will jump out and start to become clear but also sort of change the way we look at building technology and building systems. One is the need for a strong focus on occupant reassurance and experience. How do you help the occupants feel that this building is being designed and managed in a way that they are reassured about the environment and how it helps them be healthy, be productive, uh, be safe? will become to light and how their experience in their day-to-day lives is supported by the building uh, rather than it becoming another hurdle in their way in getting the job or their work or their... Give me an example of that. Something as simple as what is the hygiene process that the building takes for cleaning? How is it done? How do you know that this place is taking that into account? Other Mm -hmm. is... Another one is, how do you know that the building is using the right air quality so that this is a healthy place for me to breathe in, 
right? There's always mm. worry about these droplets everywhere. The stories of, you know, this, yeah. this droplet has become bigger than life for all of us, right? You're trying to run from the droplet, so to speak. And, and how is the air quality around the occupants designed to reduce or minimize that risk and exposure? How okay. does the occupant stay informed Right. Today in office, we, you know, our, our information systems is a human network, right? Hey, this is what happened today or that's what happened today. Or you might right. get an email or two. But in the future, we're going to have digital and physical information systems that help people stay informed and, and aware of what's going on. What are some of the technologies that you think in the, in the short term and then maybe in the long term are going to change the way we think about buildings and smart buildings some things are going to be different because of covid-19 others i feel are just going to get accelerated because if you take a step back and imagine organizations that have invested already in automation in backup and failover systems in remote management it's easy to imagine that they will be better prepared to deal with situations like this right those that have not We'll have a little bit more work to do, but the good thing is technology solutions are available. What's going to start becoming more important, you know, we touched a little bit upon air quality. We've always had a discussion on, hey, is it too hot? Is it too cold, right? The so-called thermostat wars, if you will. That conversation will shift into air quality. And then on the technical side, it's about how are we sensing the parameters of the building. Are we aware of not just the temperature, what about humidity? What about how much is the fresh airflow intake? How much times am I circulating my fresh air in the day? What type of filtration am I using in my building to get the air quality up? How do I display and show that this building environment is more optimum? There's some really interesting research out there that shows that you know, in that range of uh, 40 to 60% relative humidity, you reduce the amount of time that particulates remain in the air. So there are, there are there's some, and of course, filtration is intuitive to people, whether it is using uh, air filters or maybe even things like uh, UV light filters, right? So these things will start to take shape on technology and see how it works out. Other things that become really interesting and important is how do I make these systems more self-aware and be able to uh, identify their own failure modes, be intelligent, bring in AI so that they can predict their failure modes, they can test their current situation, and they can engage with easier ways to correct any issues, either with the equipment or with the configuration. Something like you look at smoke alarms, right? We have fire systems all over our buildings. It's actually a pretty extensive manual process currently to test the system on a periodic basis. Now technology will enable it to, okay, I can just do the testing from the cloud, or I have equipment that has a self-test capability built in and it can verify that it's working correctly. You'll have analytics that take the data out of the building, run it with advanced machine learning algorithms, and say, I think you know these three issues are going to cause problems. You better fix them now. So you're the 
you're a chief technology officer, which is an impressive title. Um, how, how did you get to, to that role and, um, and to Honeywell in general? Tell me about your career. Oh, <laughs> all right. Uh, let me, let me try to shed some light on that. I, I think for me, I wanted to be an engineer since I was maybe six years old. And I joined Honeywell almost 10 years ago. I was actually in academia formally doing uh, research and uh, got excited by the idea of coming to a large company where we build products at scale. Uh, you know, the idea that you can guide or help shape things that have larger impact really motivates me. I, I'm lucky to be in a role that I'm in and work with some very smart people and to, to help see what we can do to, you know, to create a better, better environment in our buildings. Fantastic. Well, I do have three questions I ask at the end of my podcast. And the first question, as you had already answered what you wanted to be when you grew up, you said an engineer. Now, was that because were your parents engineers? Yes, my father was an engineer, and certainly that that influenced uh, me at my at a young age. But I I think it's also just the idea of seeing, you know, how things take shape. Uh, you know, back back in the day when I was very young, you you learned about new satellite programs, uh, the success of the Apollo programs, and it was the world around us that we can create things and make things happen. So I think that had an influence as well, Joe. So second question I have is um, one that seems to have the same answer, but I'm going to ask anyway, what is the piece of technology that you could not live without? For me, I think it's a toss up between my laptop and my phone. (laughs) <laughs> trying to okay. see which one, if you take away, my, my life comes to a standstill. <laughs> <laughs> right. Actually, you're right. In today's environment, it's a slightly different. All right. The last one is um, how many unread emails are in your inbox right now? Oh, wow. That is <laughs> cool. <laughs> I am checking as you ask that question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the answer is 6,000. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we might we might have to do some digital hygiene on uh, on I, the email I, there. I will accept I will accept any help people someone anyone can offer me to help me manage my email better. Himanchu, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I really appreciate it, especially during this time when I'm sure you're very busy meeting our our customers' needs. So thanks for spending time with us. My pleasure, Joe. Thank you. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Future Is. If you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review where you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to go behind the scenes of future technology. Mm